Let us pray. Startle us, O God, with your truth, and open us to your love. And in this hour, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, may they be acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Good morning and happy Easter. What's not to like about this day? The music is wonderful, the flowers are in bloom, there are egg hunts and Easter baskets and Easter outfits, and sometimes there's even a hat or two. Preachers love Easter, and we love it because the room is packed. (laughs) And it's hard to resist thinking for just a moment that maybe it's because of the quality of the preaching. And so God made the Sunday after Easter (laughs) to bring us back down to earth. Actually, we're blessed that here at Knox Church, this room is comfortably full each week, and most weeks it's a little bit easier than it is today to get a seat. So if you haven't been here in a while, come on back and see us again. And for all of you that are here today, thank you for crowding in closely this morning and making room for all. Easter does have a lot of blessings and benefits. The challenge that preachers face every single Easter is that there is no way to come up with words that will do this day justice. The miracle of the resurrection restored hope in the power of goodness in the world. It defies the limits of human language. Easter cannot be explained. We just hope to do a good job of telling the story. There are four different versions of the story told in the Bible. Each of the Gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, has their own way of telling the story of Easter. Each one includes different details, different characters, different points of view. This year we heard Matthew's account, and he includes a turn of phrase that I think helps us understand something of the meaning of Easter. When Mary Magdalene and another woman that Matthew calls the other Mary arrive at the tomb and discover the resurrection, Matthew says they were overcome with fear and great joy. Fear and great joy. This is a feeling that we all know, the fear that comes with something that is joyful beyond a doubt, but that is also unknown and risky. As Richard Dietrich writes, these women at the tomb are afraid for joy. It's the kind of feeling that we have when we fall in love, when we witness the birth of a child, when we look over the rim of the Grand Canyon. It's joy that's accompanied by fear. At times like these, we're overcome with joy and we experience the terror that comes with wondering about things like, why has this happened? And what will come next? 
And will I be able to rise to the challenge? We all know the story of Easter. That's why we're here today. We know that it's meant to be a joyful day. But in the midst of our familiarity with this story, it's easy to forget the great fear that must have been felt by those first women at the tomb. The story begins for them on a dark road in the wee hours of the morning as they walked toward the grave, friends sharing their grief with one another. They had no idea what they were about to discover. They arrive at the tomb fully expecting to anoint a dead body, to pay their respects and to say their prayers and go back home. And then dawn breaks... And they are confronted by something completely unexpected. Something that brings them both fear and great joy. Matthew is the author of the four who is the most dramatic in his telling of the Easter story. The stone is rolled away from the tomb, and in Matthew's account it does not happen quietly or mysteriously in the darkness of night. There's an earthquake. And when the angel comes to announce the news in Matthew's story, he adds the detail that the the angel is so frightening that the guards at the tomb faint and appear to be dead themselves. And somehow in the midst of that, these women, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, they have the courage to engage the angel in conversation. And maybe they can do that because the angel says to them that Jesus has been raised and reminds them it is just as he said it would be. And the angel then adds something that is repeated later by the risen Jesus himself. It is said that Jesus will meet the women again and his disciples. He will meet them in Galilee. Galilee is the place where all of Jesus' ministry took place. The feeding, the healing, the sharing of God's grace and love with all of those who would be willing to hear it. The prodigal son, the good Samaritan, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. All of those things happened in Galilee. And now they're going back. Apparently those hope-filled and challenging days are not over. They're about to continue. It's time to get back to Galilee, back to the way that Jesus taught them they should live. So the women are met with great joy that Jesus is risen, and perhaps with fear realizing that work they might have thought was over is really just now getting started. By the time the darkness has cleared away and morning has broken at the tomb, all of this unexpected news about the future has been revealed. Much is going to be required of the people who follow Jesus. It's a moment of fear and great joy. 
And fear and great joy is not just ancient talk out of an old dusty book. It's something that you can see all around you. If you pay attention, if you're looking. Here's a story about that kind of looking. A friend of mine runs a medical mission in Guatemala called Faith in Practice. There are five hospitals and small teams of physicians and nurses who are sent into villages throughout the country. Their base is in the old city of Antigua, a beautiful step back in time to the age of cobblestone streets and Spanish villas. It's a tropical oasis surrounded by mountains and rainforests. Antigua would be like the set of a Disney movie were it not for the high crime rates after dark. And the fact that Guatemala is a place where Linda's five volunteer hospitals make up the second largest health care network in the country. Each time that I've visited, I, I've been struck by the incredible kindness and generosity of the people I meet. Open, gracious, friendly people who live in the midst of poverty and lawless violence that most of us cannot even imagine, the kind of world that would cause us to lose hope. It's a place where people show great joy and hope in their living in spite of daily unknowns about what the future may hold. You might say it's a place of fear and great joy. My friend Linda has a habit of going to Antigua's old Spanish church in the town square to pray during Lent. She sent me a message about it this year. I'd like to share a bit of it with you. In La Merced Church in Antigua, there are three statues of Jesus that are displayed only during Lent. Carved and painted in the 16th century, they transcend time. In the statues, Jesus has been scourged, his knees and back bloodied. In one statue, he crawls. Each year, Linda writes, I make a point to spend some time with these statues. They call to me. This year, as I sat in the pew, a man approached the statues. He knelt on one knee, bowing his head. And he raised his right hand and rested it lightly, carefully, on the base of the statue in which Jesus leans on a pillar, his hands bound, his eyes looking down. From my angle, it appeared as if Jesus' eyes were looking down upon the bowed head of this man. The man did not move for a long time. He was as still as the statue before which he knelt.
When he finally rose and quietly left, I drew near to the statue and looked up into Jesus' eyes. And I saw it anew. In the eyes of this 16th century statue, I saw it. Love for me. I saw Jesus' love for me. Drawing me in, asking me yet once again, will you let me love you? Can you see how much it is that I love you? And if you know that I love you, then follow me. Together we shall enter into the joy and fear of others, for that is where I, Jesus, reside. That is where I will rise to new life on Easter morning. For them, for you, now and forever. Who knows what emotions that man might have been carrying? But as I read Linda's message this past week, I wondered if he might be experiencing fear and great joy. Joy isn't always wrapped up in simple happiness. Joy can involve good yet deeper feelings, feelings of hope or trust. The church in Antigua is right next to the hospital. Was he a frightened patient awaiting surgery? Or perhaps the spouse of one? Was he a new father wondering, as all parents do, will I be a good enough parent? Perhaps he had lost a job and he was wondering how he would feed his family. Or, or maybe he had a new job far away and he wondered if moving would be worth the risk. Maybe he was hoping to start his life over, having made a horrible mistake. And he wondered in fear if he would really be forgiven. That man might have been any man or woman in any place, facing any kind of unknown future with much to fear. And yet in Jesus' eyes he found love and mercy. Whatever our burdens, those eyes of Jesus hold the hope that nothing not even death can ever separate us from the love God has for us. And that is the message of Easter. It's certainly nice to have a large crowd in the room on Easter morning, but there is a risk when the room is this full. The risk is that you will get lost in the crowd. That you will mistakenly think that all of this is for everyone else and not for you. If you were the only one in the room, 
the same message of love that is shared today would still be here for you. Take away the music, the flowers, the preaching, the whole crowd. What is meant to happen in this place is that you get a chance to look into the eyes of Jesus and to see how much you are loved. And on this day of resurrection, you receive the challenge of taking that love back into the world, for it is a world full of those for whom Jesus died. And so when you receive that love, you are to take it back out into that world and find a way to share it with someone else. For Jesus meets us this day bringing fear and great joy. It's a day of resurrection. Thanks be to God. Amen.